0: Welcome to Unlucky Moves, where we're going to cover the key decision points and pivotal moments that really change the trajectory of successful entrepreneurs and leaders. We want to share stories, not just the glory stories, but also the gory stories. Because as I like to say, the bigger the shit show, the bigger the mess. Speaking of shit shows, my guest today is Matthias Ellenfeld. I'll let that hang for a second. In all seriousness, my guest today is Matthias Ellenfeld, who is co-CEO of Woom, which is an amazing company that spends, I think, most of its lifetime on the Inc. 5000. uh, But Matthias, I want to start with, you started your career, most of your career, in consulting. It's a management consulting with IBM and then SAP. How the hell does that translate to uh, running a children's bike company?
1: Well, that's, uh, that's uh, certainly one of the one of the big um, big moves that I had. Uh, you know, is is to be able to pivot and 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 move into a new career. You know, I I you know I I I was fairly successful in in doing my consulting work. You know, a lot of SAP work, and I was working with clients to support them with their solutions and. And it was just pure luck and being at the right place at the right time awesome as you see uh, my guest today is
0: Matthias ellenfeld who is not only a good friend he is co-ceo of Wom, which as i said is a, a very fast-growing children's bike company uh, now in the us uh, he brought uh, the concept over from germany when his brother and, and co-founder uh, started the company he started his career as i mentioned with ibm and sap consulting among others he played college tennis he emanated to the U.S. We're going to have watch. We're going to dig into today. Matthias, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you so much, Kurt. I'm really excited to to be part of the show and and talk to you about, you know, about the learnings and the growings and uh, and you and I both are a lifelong learners. So I'm looking forward to a to a really fun chat with you today.
0: If you're just joining us on Unlocking Moves, today's episode is brought to you as usual by Hire Better, the strategic talent partner for growth minded entrepreneurs everywhere. Well, here's what I meant to say. I meant to say, Willkommen in Unlocking Moves, wie geht's? It's sehr gut, Kurt. Wie geht's dir heute? That's about all the German I know. I had a German exchange student for a year, and I spent uh, four semesters in college uh, learning German. I think that's all I retained, by the way.
1: That's okay. That's okay. After spending almost 30 years in, in the U.S., it's it's kind of funny. Sometimes I have to do podcasts. So I'm doing podcasts or investor meetings in, in, in Europe, obviously in Vienna. and uh, And then I have to I'm talking in German and then it's coming over uh, as as Denglish. You know, they call it the Denglish. So it's like this German English uh, version of Matthias. So I for sure be quite, quite happy to talk with you in English today, Kurt. Well, you probably can't make anybody happy. Either you have too much of a German accent for
0: people like me or you have too much of an English accent for people back home.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Hey,
0: Matthias, I want to dive into the womb story because it is such an amazing story. Can you uh, give us uh, your 2 minute overview of of uh, of how it came about and and really
1: where where you what got you here? Yeah, I think you talked about it a little bit earlier about my consulting uh, uh, path and career. You know, I've been doing SAP and IBM consulting and I started my own consulting practice also. I called it Elonfeld Consulting. So, I've been doing that for for 3 years and I was just lucky like I said to in 2013 my brother, Marcus, and his partner, Christian Bestecker, started Boom in a small garage in Vienna, and one of the first bikes that they built by hand in their garage, they sent it over to me as a birthday present for my son, Luca. And as soon as I saw the bike in 2013, I knew it was going to be something special. And funny enough, my son started riding around the neighborhood, and my, my neighbor saw the bike, and he saw how much fun Luca had on the bike, and he... He said, my, my daughter, Millie, she 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 probably would love to ride a bike like that as well. And I said, okay. He said, where can I get one? And I said, let me make a phone call. So I called my brother, Marcus, you know, said, hey, can you build one more bike? You know, for me, send it over. He sent it over to me. And uh, I sold my first bike to my neighbor and i thought that was going to be a good start and then that was kind of the start my you know my wheels start spinning and i was like you know i can do this consulting gig during the day and i can start working on this womb project at night and on, over the weekends and uh talk with my brother and 2014 i founded womb and um and that's how it kind of all started but certainly it it looked a lot easier than it actually was
0: Well, I know at some point you had to give up your consulting career. So I know that was a big move I I want to talk about. But let me step back to what you were talking about with the bike. I've ridden a lot of bikes. I grew up riding bikes. I love to ride a bike. But what makes your bike so freaking special that your neighbors say, I, I've got to have one?
1: Well, first of all, it's, 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 uh, our, we have a very strong uh, design focus. So we design bikes specifically for children to be successful. So it's ergonomically designed to, 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 and, and it's extremely beautiful. But not only that, it's also extremely lightweight and it has all the features that the child needs to be successful. So we spend a lot of time in, in refining and defining that bike. And and really, our customers say we we don't sell bikes, we sell smiles. And and when children get on our bikes, we guarantee them success. So that's a little bit different than what was uh, on the market because what was on the market was adult bikes, basically. They were shrunken down to kids' bikes, and they were heavy, clunky, and they didn't do the job. So we revolutionized the kids' bike, and our success shows and proves that we're on the right path. You guys have done such an incredible
0: job. Let me, let me touch on that for a second. Uh, I, as I re- recall, uh, there the first iteration or the first for the new bike rider, it doesn't have pedals. And then as I recall, you have a trade-up program. So As My Child Grows, I can trade in my bike. That's all very cool stuff. Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: That's, that's right. So we have models, bike models that start as early as um, a child for 18 months, two years old. So they get on a bike, which is called a balance bike. Some call it push bike. So they learn how to basically balance. And we also install a little brake so that, that, that 18 months, two year old learns how to balance the bike and also learns how to brake. And then those are really critical components in riding a bike. And then as they grow up, they have to also learn how to pedal. So you put those skills together and we offer a bike lineup that reaches all the way to the early teens. So uh, a a full lineup of bikes. And we revolutionized also the industry by offering what's called an upcycling program. So it allows you to trade in that bike. And we'll give you credit toward the purchase of the next bigger bike. And the reason we can do that is because we offer a really quality product. We know that the bike that you're using, we are getting back from you and we can basically refurbish and, and, um, and, um, either resell or, or, or donate to a good cause. And it, you know, that basically, um, revolutionized the, the industry because no one has ever done it before. Um, and it speaks for the value and the, the durability and sustainability of our bikes.
0: That is so cool. Matthias, what I just heard was German engineering for your bicycle, which is uh first class for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when we first came, when I first started this in the U.S., uh, you know, that was obviously a big factor for me. I was like, well, you know, I have a great brand and I have great pro- products, um, but um, there were a lot of naysayers at first that said, well, you know, is this going to work? Are people going to pay a little bit more money for, for, for the quality? And uh, at first, there were a lot of doubters uh, because the bike is a little bit more expensive. But when you s- start looking at the value proposition of it and the resale value of the bike, uh, it it started, to, you know, the, the lights came on for, for, for customers. But at first, there were a lot of people that said, this isn't going to work in the U.S. So one of the things I want to do with this show, Matthias, is to
0: uh, inspire other entrepreneurs to fight Through those naysayers and those doubts, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, you've got a, your your brother and his uh, co- uh, co-founder had an idea. You brought it to the U.S. People said it would never work in the U.S. It's too expensive. You said, "Screw you! We're going to make it work." Talk to me about those early years.
1: Yes, and then then I started this in 2014, and I sold 13 bikes. Hey, that's 13 times what you sold the first day. 13 bikes, those were the hardest bikes I would ever sell to anybody. And and it goes to show that just because you have a great brand, because the brand is beautiful, the products are are the best in the market, that just doesn't automatically guarantee success. So I was a pretty rude awakening for me um, because I was like, wow, with 13 bikes, I'm not going to make this work. Uh, And uh, so I really had to dig deep and come up with – really creative ways of of marketing the, the product to our customers. And, you know, funny enough, uh, one of my strengths after, you know, looking through, you know, taking tests and learning about yourself is ideation. So I had this in the Clifton Strengths Finder. my number one strength is ideation. And now it makes sense because I had to come up with some creative ideas and solutions to this problem, which is I have the best product on the market, but nobody knows about it. So how can I make my target market, which obviously are families with kids between 18 months and 12 years old, how can I, A, make them aware that we have the best product? And then B, how can I build trust with our customers that you are going to put your child on our product? And then C, which is the, the one of the bigger ones, is how do I make sure that you trust me to... Or, that you are able to buy this on the internet because back in the days we only sold this product over our ecom webshop, and so you had to buy something without having seen and touched it, and uh, and spend you know spend quite a good amount of money on it. So those were some serious challenges, and um, and uh, I ended up figuring it out, but uh, for sure those were those were rude awakenings early on, for sure.
0: Well, you can't leave me hanging on that. You're gonna have to tell me what the two or three things you did to figure it out. And it might be related to what my, one of my follow-up questions was gonna be, you guys do so much in the community for families and for, for kids, especially around the bicycling community. Are those related in any way?
1: Yeah, for sure. for For me, it's actually a big part of my my personal value proposition. I'm I I want to also give back to the community. We obviously donate a lot of bikes. You know, those upcycled bikes. We we donate them to to children. You know that that otherwise wouldn't be able to to you know to 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 ride bikes. Uh, but you know, early on, that that was certainly something that was a big big aspect for me. Is how do I you know, get these bikes in front of uh, families and children. So I, I did a lot of that grassroots, uh, e- event or, you know, um, events in, in the local communities. And I bought a tent. I, you know, I had a little minivan and I had a table and I had some whatever you have for these events. And I would go out, um, to Zilker Park, I would go to Mueller. You know, all around these areas, and uh, I would go do events. And uh, you know, and back in the days, it was like I was working during the week. I was traveling during the week uh, for my consulting job, and then on the weekends, I packed up my van with the bikes and the tent, and I would go out and uh, and um, and present the bikes to to families because I needed to get them in front of folks. And uh, the, one of the things is like I always wanted to be at the Mueller's Farmer's Market. I don't know if you know the Mueller Farmer's Market. It's this artesian farmer's market over in, in at Mueller, which is a obviously, it's a great neighborhood for families. And and I'd been working for several months to get there. And because you we are like a bike brand and and we don't do any, I mean, we manufacture or the, we assemble the bikes locally in Austin and we have our headquarters here, but we don't, you know, we don't sell organic vegetables and all those things. Anyway, so I finally get Get to go to Mueller through a connection, and uh, and uh, the weather was um, not was not ideal. It was thirty five degrees on that Saturday, and there was there was uh, there was one child riding the bike, and that was Luca. He was the only one showing up to actually experience and 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 be part of the program. So. You know, in all seriousness, no, events was definitely a big one. It's a heavy lift because, you know, you have to basically do it all on your own and it's, you never know who turns up and who shows up. And, and so it's, 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 but it's certainly something that was important to me building relationships and then being part of other organization, I think has also been very important. And then I think the biggest thing for me was to reach out to, you know, I was thinking, I was asking myself, how do I create trust? with the consumer. And I can say whatever I want about the product that doesn't make it trustworthy. So I needed to find some social proof, right? So there was two ways to find social proof. One is I would be leveraging my existing customer, right? So the cust- those 13 customers I already had sold bikes to in 2014, I would try to get them on board and say, can you please help me and sh- and share that success with other parents? So that was one thing, and then the second thing was independent reviewers, right? And back in the days, you know, believe it or not, there were people, uh, parents, most most of them, that were reviewing, you know, products for children. And uh, so I was spending quite a bit of time, you know, working working with them and, and 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 showing how how you know, sending them the sample products, they would test it, and then they would write. Up that we were the best product on the market. And that that's certainly those two things were certainly the 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 early the early uh solutions to, to that problem.
0: Well, I appreciate you saying that, Matthias. Here's what I heard with what you just said. Number one is uh get out there yourself and interact with customers and be the, the feet on the street. Don't hire an intern to go sell bikes at the, at the freaking farmer's market in the early days. Do it yourself. You want to get the feedback and you inspire your customers to want to support you in your new business i'm sure and then continue to iterate and be uh, an advocate for your uh, for your consumer thanks for sharing that's that's amazing
1: yeah absolutely and and then well i think one one other aspect that goes along with the customers is you know offering the customer experience that the customer deserves right i think that that was number one early on for me very important is be there for your customer and that's what that's what I did early on. Is is the customer is the king, as as we always say, and 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 that's still true to for you know until today. It's the customer is really the one that that matters. It's the parent, but more importantly, it's the child using our products. It's it's uh, amazing how many entrepreneurs have a great product or
0: service and they they want to sell it to somebody instead of really having a customer or client really want their product or service. So focusing on customers, that's that's awesome. Hey, uh, Matthias, I'm going to take a, a gratuitous uh, a product placement break here for a second and grab a water. There we go. Um, hey, by the, while we're doing this, is it wombbikes.com or womb.com? It's now womb.com, yeah, W-O-O-M.com. All right, yeah, go check it out. It's an amazing site, guys. So, uh, Matthias, well, first of all, let's settle something right now because I have to deal, have this conversation whenever I bring up your name. Matthias or Matthias. I tell them it's freaking Matthias and I'll punch him if they say anything else. Is that right? uh, 1994, to make
1: sure that people say my name right. Uh, But I've been called a lot worse, obviously, throughout the years. But uh, Matthias is, um, I'll, I'll take that. Thank you.
0: Okay, awesome. So Matthias, I consider myself the listener's advocate. If I'm going to listen or watch the show and I see this German guy who's built an amazing company in the U.S. with a management consulting background, what would I want to know about him? And I've got to learn about that story from a, a, being a, a you know German kid to coming to the U.S. It sounds like you he came, he came here to play tennis and you decided to stay and now you've become a uh, just an amazing entrepreneur in the U.S. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Why, how, the challenges, what have you?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's certainly resonates very well with me right now because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm revisiting my past a little bit and, and see how I actually got here, <laughs> if, you know, in, in, in 2023. In 1994, I, you know, I, I left Germany with a toothbrush and two tennis records and I came to a different country. And, um and my goal was to to get a degree, go to university and um, you know brush up on my English and then go back to go back to Germany to to get a job there. I never intended to to, to stay in the U.S and uh, one thing led to another I got my master's degree, my graduate degree. I got an MBA um because that was something that I thought prepared would prepare me better to go back to Europe and during my graduate degree, I was doing I was doing well, and they needed some help with a local business in in Birmingham to help them work with the system. Um, and so I was doing some graduate assistant work, twenty hours a week, to support me with my studies. And and um, I was I was uh, you know trying to do the best I can for for them. And and they offered a job for me after graduation. So I I in 1999 I ended up I ended up uh, accepting a job and I moved to Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, and start. That was the start of my SAP uh, systems career. And 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 I, I, you know, the one thing I I always say is like I never had the intent or the objective to become a CEO of a business and uh, or to to start a business. That was never really my intent. I mean, early on, I didn't even know what I was going to do, Kurt. It was one of those things where. I think it's okay to 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 be a teenager and even in the early 20s and not knowing what you want to do because back then I had no idea what I wanted to do what I was good at you know what are my superpowers I had no idea so you know whether that's right or wrong I was kind of going with the flow accepting the job but the one thing I always did I always did I always tried to do the best that I could and so whether that was undergraduate whether that was graduate school or whether that's my first job. I remember I remember the CEO, his name was Red Fifield, and he was an old school guy. And he wanted us to show up to work at 6.30 a.m. And and so we started at 6.30 a.m. And you know how systems implementations are. Sometimes you have to work late. And then we worked from 6.30 until 8, 9 p.m. pretty much every day. And then we had the weekend. Okay, we had the weekend to, to, to relax a little bit but it was uh, it was one of those days where you know it was just like i'm going to do the best i can and when i did the best that i could i was being presented to opportunities so that i was recruited by another company to to work with them on an sap implementation and then ibm recruited me i became part of the global business consulting practice but throughout those 16 years of consulting the customer was always at the top of mind for me and i was always doing what I could to present the best option and the best solution for for my customers. There was even there was no doubt around it. And I and I'm still trying to figure out where that comes from, where that motivation comes from. Um, I think it's probably my upbringing. But um, but that's something that's near and dear to my heart. And I think when you work hard and when you do the best that you can, then opportunities will present will be presented to to me. I. You know, in the last 20 years whatever, I've, I've you know, talked to my brother about this the other day. I've never asked anybody for a pay increase. You know, it was just, it never dawned on me. I was just like, people are going to pay me for what what they believe, the you know, what I'm worth or what the value is that I can pr- bring to them. And that was always uh, what I wanted to do is I want to serve my customers, whether that was consulting or whether that was now at WOM. And I hope the youth of America or in Germany are listening to what you just said right now. Uh, a, the
0: work ethic, but really, I want to come back to what you said about not really knowing what you wanted to do, but just just going and doing the best you could. And there's so many uh, universities in the U.S. now that are asking you to declare a major when you're 17 years old. They're asking you, what do you want to do? I'm 50 freaking two years old or whatever I am, maybe 54 now. But, and I still don't know what I want to do, Matthias. So uh, that's no. an inspiration for me. I hope it is for uh, kids. Um, there is one other thing that you touched on, or I want to come back to you on this story. Uh, can you, first of all, this is yesterday, uh, big or small, was your, your uh, town that you grew up in in Germany, was it large or small?
1: It was a super small town. It was about 3,000 people in that small town, yeah. and, okay. and uh,
0: okay, so it wasn't a culture shock when you moved to Monroe, Louisiana with a toothbrush and two tennis <laughs> rackets.
1: It was a huge culture shock. I mean, I... I I I remember it as if as if it was yesterday. I mean, obviously, I, you know, I came. I barely spoke any English. My English was 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 very was not very good. And then, of course, you you know, you Monroe, Louisiana, and I I remember when I ordered breakfast in the mornings, and you order it at uh, you know at the, in the cafeteria it was always a gamble because i was always saying yes and i didn't know what they were saying you know because i didn't understand the dialect and the accent so it was a huge culture shock but i think it was one of the best moves i made uh, in my in my life pretty much because i moved into a completely different culture i had to assimilate and i had to make it work and i had to at had to all you know so but it was also fun um back you know looking back it was a it was a it was a fun experience to to go somewhere not knowing hardly anybody and trying to make it work when you're 19 years old.
0: That's awesome. That again, that should be an inspiration to folks.
1: So, uh, really quick uh,
0: backstory or really quick story. My sister-in-law is a Kiwi, so she moved from New Zealand to the U.S. Similar to you coming in uh, to uh, as a you know foreign exchange student or as a new U.S. student. And she grew up on in a beach town. And so she looked at the map of the U.S. and she wanted to go to a place that had that was near the ocean. And so the college placement people placed her in Lake Charles, Louisiana. So not far from Monroe where you are. It is close to, quote, the water, but there's no freaking beach. It's a, if, you're any, if you're familiar with South Louisiana, it's freaking swamp. So I, I thought that was a funny story. I thought you were going to say Port Aransas or Galveston or something like that. So. That would be a good idea compared to Lake Charles. That's for yeah. sure. Hey, uh, let me shift gears. I see amazing product placement in the view with Who's Your Mike back there, as you know, uh, wrote a book about uh, the employees you'll meet on your entrepreneurial journey. I want to dig into that a bit with some of the characters or legacy employees that you've outgrown. And there's a few other like silver bullets that don't work out that you hire from the outside. I'd love your favorite uh, character
1: from Who's Your Mike. And maybe if you could tell me
0: about your mic, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, back in my consulting career I had plenty of techno tims, you know, and but uh but I think no, I think uh, you know, who's your who's you know Mike is for sure uh the big the big character at Boom. And it's funny because I had my Mike or Mike's and my brother, I just you know talked to him about this because it's it's related to organizational evolution, right? You're you you're you're going from a startup and you're growing, you have different phases and you have different players. You know, participate in those different phases, and he has had his mics, and I had had, my, I did have my mics as well. And then I think, I think though, what what's really also important to 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 recognize is, I wouldn't have been able to get to where I am today without my mic or without my mics. You know, and I think that's you know that's always very important to recognize is. Is, is that this this is this is not something you can do on your own. You need you need passionate, dedicated, you know, uh, 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 you know, even friends. You 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 early on you create all, also these friendships because you're you're working so intimately with 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 your team members, and that's why that's why the concept of Mike is is also a, a, a very a very valuable one for everybody because these most likely are your friends and you eventually have to move on from your friends. And those are, that was, uh, those are the most difficult decisions you can make is because they also helped you with where you want to get to for sure. So uh, that's definitely a big one, yeah.
0: It definitely a challenging conversation to have somebody who is so loyal to you and get get you where you are. And the reality is who got you here may not be the right person or team to get you there. And just a tough concept, but it doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that you may have outgrown them. So thank you for sharing. Yeah
1: things you know i think i also have to be very you know i wouldn't say self. i would try to be self-aware and, and, and understand myself as well i mean i i don't want to be the mic myself you know i you know i, if I i'm investing a lot in learning and, and growing and all that but i i also have to I, I don't want to become my own mic so to speak because you know you, you don't want to hold the organization back, you know, because you, you need to have the right people at the right time in the organization as well. Well, I think at all times, we at some time, we all
0: become our own mics.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it doesn't mean we can't grow through it or we can't surround ourselves with stronger people than us so we can uh, continue to grow. But we're going to have to face that reality at some point, unless you're, I guess, the rare... Michael Dell, who grew all the way from startup, you know, in his garage to a multi-billion-dollar uh, company, but he's had a lot of smart people around him, so he's been able to grow through it. Like I said. Yeah, hey, I want to touch on something that I, I love about what you've done at Woom. And there's a chapter in the book called HR Roto, which is about the uh, the compliance side of HR and what most entrepreneurs hate about HR. And then there's the strategic, best places to work, great, uh, you know, talent acquisition, whatever side of HR you have decided. To take the HR concept and you created a uh, employee experience department. Tell me about that, man. I, I love that concept. Yeah. And by the way, in the book for this very concept. So let's talk
1: about it. And we talked and I was just rambling on and then you said, well, can I can I use that as a quote in, your, in, in my book? And I was like, yeah, I don't even remember what I said, but sure, go ahead, do that. No, I, I think to me, it's actually... You know, for me, it's it's a very important concept um, because you know we we are we are ultimately we can only be uh, successful uh, when we take care of our employees and and um, and we want to make sure that we offer the best possible experience for our employees. Similarly, as we want to offer the best experience for our customers, and so both of those, it's kind of a triangle relationship. It's womb. Ex- employees and customers and the the underlying belief that we have is that if and when we take care of our employees and we offer them the best possible experience then naturally we will have a high performing team but more importantly we will automatically take care of our customers and ultimately customers is you know those are the ones that 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 purchase our products that 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 allow us to be to be successful so what we do is we really approach as early as the hiring process Phase through so onboarding, integrating, offering, trying to offer career opportunities within Woom, um, and also uh, quite a bit of learning and development program to help our employees in, in you know advance and grow. Also asking for feedback, we employee engagement sur- surveys, but also uh, until we roll off our our employees, whether they leave on their own or whether they leave. Um, you know, because we we decide that, but uh, supporting them afterwards. So it's uh, it's the whole life cycle of of our employees, and it's something that that is uh, really near and dear to my heart. And I'm extremely grateful and lucky to have uh, an amazing leader in in April. Who is who's also um, supporting and implementing that globally now? So I'm really, really proud of the team. Are we perfect yet? No, of course not. We have a lot, still a lot to learn. But for a nine-year or ten-year-old organization, I think we are, we are, we are, we are doing what I want to do, and 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 I think uh, and hope that our team is also appreciative of it.
0: Matthias, uh, I want you to know how uh, you you should be very proud of what you have built, you should be proud of what you're doing there because that's uh, not many people are doing what you just described as far as creating that experience for their employees, but your employees who are happy are going to make your customers happier. And that's just how, how it works. Keep your your team and your employees uh, motivated and happy.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words. So Matthias, the
0: name of the show is Unlocking Moves, where we really try to uncover the key decision or pivotal moment that really unlocked the success of uh, entrepreneurs and leaders. I'd love to dig into what one or two might be for you, and we may have already talked about some of them, but but let's go.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the, the 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 one that was always um, top of mind was in regard to how I was going to finance the the business, right? And and I think you know I think that's one of those things. It's a it's a bootstrap business, which is highly capital intensive. So you know when I started in two thousand fourteen, I. You know, I ordered uh, you know the first 500 bikes, and then we were growing. You know, 300 percent year over year. At one point, we were on the Inc. 5,000. That's growing 742 uh, percent. You know, in 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 two years or so. And so the question always uh, was, how do I how do I bootstrap? How do I finance this this business? And and that's where that's where it's gotten really um, you know really really tough for me because I I didn't want to. I invite any investors in external capital so in 2017 which was 3 years after i started i i approached you know multiple external like banks to help me fund the business and i heard everything from it was always the same it's like oh we love whom you guys are doing amazing things you have the best product yes come over uh and and yeah we'd love to have you and present your findings and then we were you know i was presenting the financials and and then it's like well you know you you're sorry you are you know you don't meet this ratio and you don't do you you don't have enough profits and you don't have enough equity and all that so it was a very frustrating frustrating time and i was i got one rejection after another it was it was really really um challenging for me also mentally and um I remember there was one time where, where I, I had liquidated all of my 401ks, right? So my entire retirement accounts were liquidated. I maxed out all my credit cards. I had no more cash. I actually used to have a condo. I sold my condo, and um, and I had no more money, and I wasn't sure how I was going to make payroll and uh, that my, you know, my dishwasher at, in my house broke and my, and back then my wife was asking me, it's like, hey, and the dishwasher is broken, you know, we need to get the dishwasher fixed. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know we need to get that fixed. And she's like, well, why can't we? And I'm like, we just can't. And she's like, well, we can just charge it on the credit card. Right. And I said, no nah, they're all maxed out. Right. And so I'm waiting for this to turn positive. Is it going to turn positive? Well, ah, yeah, and and um, and it, you know, and 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 so it was a it was a, a big struggle at first, and that's when I when I knew I had to really really dig deep and become a, use my creativity again and and do what I had to do, and uh, I made some decisions to use some really crazy alternative financing tools. I you know I used uh, I used the PayPal uh, you know credit facility that had an annual percentage rate of thirty point ten percent. Okay, oh my gosh, APR. I used that MX financing. I used Shopify capital financing. I used OnDeck financing, and um, and so I was able to make it work because I knew that if and when I pay and get the bikes in, I knew I was going to sell them. So it was just a matter of time to to get that to get that done, and then. I was working with John on on really working on the financials so I, I brought in John as a you know a g- great CFO to help me really a re- you know basically focus on all the financial you know ratios that that I needed to get financing and I was and I was able to turn that around and get a 2 million dollar loan in 2018 with with the Green Bank and and that helped me that helped me bridge the gap and continue to grow substantially so uh, that, those, were, those were really uh, painful times. I went to bed. I started counting the number of orders I got on the website, how much money I would get and whether I could pay the bills. So certainly, certainly a challenging time back then, yeah.
0: So bringing on a strong CFO and then being able to get a large line of credit from Green Bank were ultimately the big ones, but then just along the way, uh, figuring it out with, uh, with some of the smaller facilities.
1: Absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I want the every, the audience to know, for the record, I've been trying to uh, get Matthias to allow me to invest as an equity investor for at least five years. So I, I think it 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 uh, every pain that he went through, he deserves, so he knows.
1: It was certainly painful, but uh, yeah, we, we we turned the corner, so we're, we're good now. I, I would have been a shark. You wouldn't want me
0: involved in your company. No, I love what you're doing. Hey, Matthias, I like to ask this question as we wrap up the show. I want to know if there's any question that you think uh, people should ask you based on your background and experience, or maybe you kind
1: of wish they wouldn't ask you. Yeah, I, I think for me, I think it's it's uh, many times I, I wish um, more of my team would um, would ask more about what it means to really be an entrepreneur and to start a business. And I think, I think I'm with the hope of, you know, I was joking about this the other day. I was like hoping that everybody that works somewhere would have been able to run their own organization or their own business, at least start one to see what it takes, because it's it's just that experience that I think is extremely important because you need you need this bi-directional empathy. And sometimes you know, we as leaders have to have empathy for our employees and our teams. And, and I think that would maybe create also some empathy the other way around to say that, look, you know, Matthias, you know, he, he, he's really acting in the best interest of, of woman. And it's basically maybe because we has experience of having started this organization. And I think that's something that I wish, you know, I you know, wish everybody had the chance to, or the opportunity to, to start their own business and go through those learnings because it's 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 a great opportunity to, to to learn and grow and understand what it takes to actually run a business. I love the uh,
0: the mindset of, of trying to create your own entrepreneurs from your company. And side hustle Sam
1: is a great chapter in the book
0: that could talk a little bit about
1: uh, Yeah, that. I do have I do have a couple of side hustle Sams as well and and to to be frank, I, I try to support them as much as I can because I do believe that that um, that we know that we can't hold, especially entrepreneurial, uh personalities we can't hold them um forever because we know they have the drive to do things on their own so i i often make myself available or talk with them and help them and coach them because you know because i want them to experience that as well and and it could could be a great opportunity for them
0: man that's a very very cool and a great lesson for other entrepreneurs don't dissuade your potential entrepreneurs from doing it but support them and maybe keep them as an employee as they continue to pursue their career and sometimes those side hustles You can become an investor and and we all win. That's right. Hey, Matthias, on that note, we're going to wrap this puppy up. I'd like everybody to please go to YouTube, like and subscribe. And uh, same with anywhere you subscribe or anywhere you get get your podcasts, uh, go check out Unlocking Moves. Matthias Ellenfeld, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Really appreciate you. Tschüss. Thank you so much, Kurt. It's been a blast as always. If you're an entrepreneur and you think you might have outgrown a member of your team, or maybe you've got a mic, as we talked about in Who's Your Mic? Check out this quiz at whosyourmic.com slash quiz. That's whosyourmic.com slash quiz.